0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: Hey, it's time for another episode of Product People. This episode features advice from Patio11, John Saddington, Spencer Fry, Dan Norris, and David Hannemeyer Hansen. And it also features some cameos by Tim Smith, Adam Clark, and Chris Enns on their intellectual radio program. But before we get to the show, I've got to thank my great sponsors. Are you creating an application that needs charts or dashboard? Fusion Charts is a JavaScript charting solution trusted by developers around the world they have tons of interactive and animated charts with advanced features like tooltips drill down chart export and zoom their charts also work across pcs macs ipads iphones and android devices you can download a free trial at fusioncharts.com and my friends at sprintly have agile project management software that's perfect for teams with three more people. It's the easiest way for managers and developers to track the software development process. You and your team can try Sprintly for free. Go to www.sprint.ly. And once you sign up for a billing plan, use the coupon code PRODUCTPEOPLETV2013 to get 10% off. And later in the show, I talk about a special listener survey. You can find that at productpeople.tv goals. There's a great podcast called The Intellectual Radio Program. It's hosted by Chris Enns, Tim Smith, and Adam Clark. And I was recently listening to Episode 8 on SSKTN.com. And right near the end, Chris has this beautifully honest moment where he describes the frustration I think a lot of us feel when it comes to building our own products. What
2: yeah. happens then when you that's, – that's great and that sounds awesome – but then let's say you do something and uh and two people show up and you've put 3 months of you know or 6 months or however, put enough effort into it that you feel like it's a good thing that you did a quality thing not just a uh, threw up a domain and was like well nobody came to my website with a 2010 wordpress theme and a couple of blog posts right but right. like a thing you built right um how long do you keep kicking that horse for one but then also you know in the interim you're waiting for the if you build it, they will come crowd to catch up to that. How long do you sort of hang on to that? And and you always hear the success stories, right? And you don't see the years of waiting and hard work that it took to get to that point.
1: His co-host, Adam Clark, pipes in and brings up the topic we're going to discuss today. I think it completely depends on what your goal is for a project. So when your goal is to make an income from it, then it matters how many people show up because you know you got to make money from it goals this is something i've been thinking about a lot lately on product people we focus on tactics the processes people use to launch products whether it's a web app an ebook or downloadable software but as i've reviewed a lot of these episodes there's this trend that keeps coming up successful people set goals and i have to admit i'm a little burnt out on goals The other day, I found a list of goals I'd written in college. I think there were about 25 items on the list, some goals I'd met, other goals I hadn't. But that's not the point. I think for a lot of us, setting goals reminds us of that 10-year plan we wrote in school. It was kind of a bucket list. But the goals that successful entrepreneurs set are different. And we're going to get to those in this episode. Uh, We're going to hear from people like Patio 11, DHH, and John Saddington. But before we do, I want to play you some more of that previous conversation. Here's where Tim Smith comes in.
3: I, I feel like like the conversation could be so much more productive if we like nailed down what project you feel like this about. Is it SSKTN or is it something else that you're working on that like, you uh, feel like hasn't gotten therapy. the <laughs> the attention awesome. that you want it? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so whether like SSKTN certainly is one of those things where it's been really successful and has been going well, way better than it used to, but it still isn't anywhere near doing any sort of like paying bills or even covering costs, right? And so um, that's one of those things where it's like, how long do you keep pushing against the, putting the quote-unquote great thing that you love and you're passionate about out there and keep keep at it versus like uh, putting my efforts elsewhere where it'd be more useful generate more money etc right maybe even bring me more happiness who knows Um, but then also the discussion of like what Adam was talking about with you know having this thing that you want to do and not sure whether it would really work and um, sort of half-heartedly building it and never really throwing yourself into it all the way
1: it's it's the goals it's all the goals if your goal is to make money with SSKTN and that be your income and it's not happening then at some point you probably do pull the trigger and focus on something else but okay, so this is, we're done <laughs> <laughs> such a good conversation i think anyone who's ever worked on their own thing uh their own product and have hoped that they could make money from it have felt that way the same way that chris feels like is this gaining traction am i going to You know, is it ever going to become kind of fully realized? Am I going to earn a living from this? How long do I keep pushing up against this thing? So the first thing I noticed is that successful product people set limits. They give themselves time limits for their projects. And here's a good example from Patio11.
4: A few weeks later, I was thinking, what could I possibly do for a business that I could actually do when I'm employed? And I could execute in a reasonable amount of time because I don't want to have this you know, uh, like, get a few weeks into this and then lose interest. And that is within my very limited skills as a programmer. I thought, well, that bingo thing, I know I can program it because I did you know version 0.0 of it in under a day, and if out of a list of uh, maybe 200 people in central Japan, 60 of them were moved enough by it to write me about it then there must be a market for this. That's right. So I spent, a, um, and I told my plan to my father. I said, all right, here's the plan. I'm going to make this bingo thing. I'm going to put it on the website. I'm going to sell it over PayPal. And I'm going to drive traffic to it with AdWords and search engine optimization, which is this thing I've been reading about for a year and a half but haven't ever done. And my father says, you should just come back to America and get a good job. I'm like, no, no, this will work. I'm, I'm going to invest one video game worth of money in it. So $60, and I will start selling it a week from now. And my dad, who has been in you know, business for 15 years by himself, is thinking $60 of capital, uh, one week to time to market, this is absolutely crazy. Not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, so, a week later, I do Indeed launch, and with a, you know, a website created in Notepad, a logo that was created by a buddy of mine at the incubator, and the uh, world's second-worst Java swing app that does Bingo creation, <laughs> And, you know, I built it, and nobody came. I thought, hmm, well, okay, what's the plan for marketing it? I don't know anything about marketing, but I do know that search engine thing I've been reading about for a year. Maybe if I fill a hole in the Internet, then Google will have to send me people. And so since I've been dealing with English teachers, I know there's this thing that English teachers care about called the Dolch Sight Words. It's a list of about 200 words grouped up into five grade levels created by an English pedagogist in the uh, 1930s that says you should basically know these words on seeing them. And they weren't on the internet anywhere. So I went down to the library, grabbed a book, copied out the list of the Dolch Sight Words into uh, a per-grade list and put it on my website, and then said, hey, if you're looking for Dolch Sight Words you probably want to have a routine activity with your kids. Why don't you play Dolch Sight Words Bingo, which you can conveniently create with this bingo card creator. Here's the download link to the free trial. (laughs) And so got that done about a week into the business. And a week later, I had a you've got money email from PayPal, my first sale.
1: So Patio11 gave himself a week to build it and a week to market it before he had his first sale. John Saddington uses this concept of time boxing as well. He described it in our interview like this.
5: You know, and, and I take that that philosophy on all my side projects, they have a begin date and they have an end date. So when I experiment and build my application, and here's probably a very kind of pragmatist look at it. I say I'm I'm going to try this for six months, and if it's if it's shit, then shit, and then you move on. And if I can achieve a certain level of metrics within those six months. I call that a success. It might not be financial. It might just be a product. It might just be kind of a marketing play. It might just be brand awareness. I, I don't know, but I declare that and say this is what, what I'm gunning after. And so, so then I can I can relieve myself of those applications and those side projects without a lot of emotional baggage. You know, when I when I first created like let uh, the World of Warcraft dating website, which was 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 kind of like the soup du jour back then in 2000, I guess eight. You know, uh, eHarmony was really picking up. Um, Plenty of fish had just like just like opened up and said, you know, it was like one guy and and, like two part-time sysadmins who were making like 30 million a month or something. And it was just it was blowing up. So I was just like, well, I I was a senior engineer at Dell at the time, and I was building their enterprise app. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna try this. And for six months, I'm gonna build. As kind of a social network dating website, and if in six months it sucks, I'm going to close it. But in six months, if it reaches X amount of um, interest or, or users, and maybe even some revenue, then I'm going to start looking for a buyer because I'm not interested. Like I, my legacy doesn't need to be about World of Warcraft and dating.
1: Like,
5: <laughs> yeah. So for 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 me to be very so clear in my own you know head and even in my heart, then when I get to that six month period. I can make very clear decisions about where the project should go.
1: Probably one of my problems is that I don't say, you know, I'll try things, but I won't have a start and end date and I won't have any kind of idea, like you said. So in six months, what do I expect to happen? What's going to be, if, what's the benchmark that I have to hit? And I think that's actually really good advice to, to say, let's, let's, you know, put a time box around this and say, where are we going to be? And if we're not there, then let's move on. Okay, but what does this look like in practice? David Hannemeyer Hansen of 37 Signals has this great story about him setting this goal for car racing to reach the 24 Hours of Le Mans in France. And he talks about his process in achieving that goal, and then he applies it to business.
6: And throughout the whole thing, I I had this dream in mind that I wanted to go to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, To me, that's always been the just the greatest motor racing event in the world. And uh, I had plenty of role model in the the Danish driver, Tom Christensen, who now won Le Mans nine times, um, way more than any other driver in the history of the Le Mans motor race in the uh, very long history of the Le Mans motor race has ever won the race. So um, that provided the motivation to, to have that as an end goal. So by the time I got serious about racing, I just basically plotted out a path. How do I get from where I am now to being at the grid at Le Mans? And that entailed going through a number of different series and climbing up through the classes and climbing up through the cars and so forth. And I think that that part, for me, is certainly transferable. Um, I set out sort of, once I got into something, for example, with Rails, um, once I knew that there was something there, once I knew that I was having so much more fun making web applications with Ruby on Rails than I ever had with PHP or Java or any of the other tools that I've been making, I kind of set out that, like, other people should be part of that. They should should share that. So um, I took that seriously. I, I took it seriously that I wanted to basically spread the wealth of what is... The wonders of the Ruby programming language to to as many people as I possibly could, and um, I think that's that's very similar to sort of climbing that ladder system. It's like first, it's just get a few early adopters, and and you get other people involved and interested in helping building the the framework and and so forth, and and then you you roll it one step at a time from there. You get to one zero, and and you do a uh, good marketing site for it and, and you do some promotion with videos and so forth. And, um, that's all part of sort of that ladder. Um, and as it goes to business, it's kind of the same thing that, uh, once we knew we had something with base camp, um, sort of charting a path of always having some goal in mind. Oh, we want to get to this. We want to get to so and so many customers. We want to, uh, we have this vision for the product that we want to get to. It's, it's quite similar.
1: So we have a couple of principles here now. Uh, John Saddington says, give yourself a time limit. Time box it. Say, OK, in six months, this is what I want to achieve. And David Hanemar Hansen talks about setting the goal and then working your way backwards, deciding what is the ladder I need to climb to achieve that goal. But what about Chris's earlier question about throwing in the towel? When do you know it's the right time to throw in the towel? Here's Spencer Fry of Uncover's take on that.
0: You know, throwing the towel is something that I don't like doing. (laughs) Um, And that's one of the reasons why I choose the bootstrap, because I feel like if I did have investors and I did raise a million dollars, you know, uh, pre-product market fit, then you basically have to throw in the towel a lot sooner because you you know you raise for 12 to 18 months and if the product's not going how it is, how, how it should go then you kind of have to give up. But um, the nice thing about bootstrapping is like with enough TLC and enough time you can kind of tend to overcome challenges the challenges of like user growth mm-hmm. uh, and you can sort of figure it out eventually um, if you stick with it. So.
1: Yeah, I don't really like giving, you know, throwing in the towel personally. Well, and have you had some projects that you started that you've decided to not continue?
0: Um, I I have had some small things. I think so. Uncover actually, it's interesting because the uncover from 2012 was we kind of we sold it, but for like a couple thousand dollars, it was kind of like a thing we were planning on shutting down. And a buddy was like, "I'll take it." Um, But we had started as like a hiring app because both Mike, my co founder and I wanted to do something in the HR space and we wanted to focus around kind of the employees and while I was learning to code in 2012, um, I learned to code while building like a higher tracking software. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we kind of, by the end of 2012 I think we had a few dozen customers but uh, ultimately I was way more um, enthusiastic about current employees rather than employees that were, or people that were applying to be an employee. So. Um, that was something that I ended up shutting down, hmm. and I think it was more—it was more because it wasn't—I wasn't passionate about it, and it was more of like a learning exercise to learn to code rather than kind of like um, what I saw was a business opportunity.
1: Yeah. On the other hand, Dan Norris of Informly learned the hard way what happens when you don't throw in the towel soon enough. So, uh, like you said in part one. Um, you you basically gave yourself a year to build this other product called informally. You're running out of time. You're at the end of the year. You're thinking, I, I have got to make something work. I either go back and get a job or I'm going to make some sort of product or service work. You came up with this idea on the weekend. Uh, You posted in forums and asked people if it was a good idea. They said it wasn't a good idea. You did it anyway. And how quick between the time you launched it and the first paying customer?
3: Uh, well, the, the same day. I mean, I did a I, – I thought of it on Saturday. I, I came home and just bought a theme, put the site up, and just tweeted it to see – like, I didn't actually launch the product yet, but I had a Buy Now button up on the homepage. And then a day later, I sent it out to my list. So, so one thing I have built over the last year is a list of about 5,000 people, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and – I sent it out to my list and I had signups ups straight away.
1: So now, let's say you're giving advice to someone else. And I mean, you're still early on, but you've, you've had, you do have experience in the sense that you, you were kind of aggressively pursuing this for a year. You built this product. You built a mailing list. You did all the content marketing. You did all that stuff. And so you've had that experience. And now in the last couple of weeks, you've got this new experience. So based on all of that, if someone came to you and said, you know, I'm thinking about this product, I I want to try to validate it before I build it, what would you say to them?
3: Regardless of what sort of product it is, go out and work out how to solve it for someone and get them to pay you for it. So I, I probably could have done this with Informally. I could have gone out and said, look, you've got a whole bunch of complicated analytics. I'll come to your business one day a week and I'll pull it all together and I'll give you a report and you can pay me 50 bucks or 500 bucks or something. Um, and that's, that's a hundred X better than asking someone if the idea is good. So I, I think, I think like incubators and co-working spaces have to have a rule where you can't get in there unless you've got a customer and they say, okay, I want to work there. Well, cool. call You've got a customer. No. All right. We'll go get a customer, come back and then you can work here, do the best practice and implement it. Stop talking about it and then decide based on what people's actions are. You know, well, this, this
1: reminds me of, um, Derek Sivers has this great video called uh, Start Now, No Funding Needed. And he kind of describes that exact process you just described, which is, you know, if you have an idea for something, go to one person and see if you can convince them to pay you for it. And if they pay you for it and you can get another person to pay you for it and another person keep doing that until it's so painful that you need to write software to, uh, you know, kind of automate those, manual things that you're doing in his book anything you want Derek Sivers also has a section called if it's not a hit switch here's an excerpt from that book we've all heard about the importance of persistence but I had misunderstood success comes from persistently improving and inventing not persistently doing what's not working we all have lots of ideas creations and projects when you present one to the world and it's not a hit don't keep pushing it as is. Instead, get back to improving and inventing. So here's the pattern I'm seeing. If we're going to build products that we want to earn money from, we're going to need to get a lot of things right. Product market fit, pricing, we're gonna to need to build it, etc. But overarching all of that is this need to set clear expectations. What is your goal for this project? And really, to be held accountable to that goal, we need to set a time limit. We need to say, in six months, if I don't have this amount of revenue, I'm going to move on. If it's not a hit, I'm going to switch. And to be honest, this is something I'm working on myself. Uh, This is something I would like to put into practice. So I'm wondering, I'd like to reach out to you, the listeners. Do you currently set and track goals for your products? What have you tried that hasn't worked? What have you tried that has uh, I've set up a survey at productpeople.tv slash goals. That's productpeople.tv slash goals. And if I get enough responses, I'll share the results with the Product People community on our newsletter. You can sign up, productpeople.tv slash newsletter. Thanks to all the people who have reached out via email and Twitter these past couple of weeks and uh, just... Thanks me for the show and encourage me. That means a lot. You can get to me on Twitter at mijustin, or you can follow the show on Twitter too. It's at productpeopletv. If you really like the show and want to help us get it noticed, you can give us a review on iTunes. It's as easy as going to iTunes, searching for Product People, and then clicking five stars. And that helps other people discover the show as well, which in turn helps me to keep going. I also want to thank our sponsors, Sprintly, www.sprint.ly, and Fusion Charts, fusioncharts.com. Go and thank them on Twitter as well, at FusionCharts and at Sprintly. And if you haven't gone and tried those things out yet, go and try them out. It really helps support the show and their great products as well. That's all for this week. See you next week. Thanks for listening.